presented by the 910 Comedy Podcast Network. And we are back. It's Dead Girls Talking. I'm Minda. I'm Jenna. And we have a very special guest this evening. Joining us is horror movie aficionado and comic and actor, Zach Amico. He does it all. Triple threat. Yeah, we're so thankful that you came to talk to us. Um, what are some of your acting credits? Uh, I mostly work with Troma Entertainment. Uh, so I have been in Return to Meet Them High Volumes 1 and 2, as well as their new film, Shakespeare's Shitstorm. Uh, <laughs> currently, I have coming out The Secret of Tuck Island, Curse of the Were Deer, and uh, Bring on the Damned are the last three movies I shot. Sometimes I feel like I'm talented, and then I hear just the titles of stuff, and I'm like, I am so beneath these geniuses that come up with these titles and storylines. I have a deep love of indie horror, so this is very exciting for me. Yeah, Jenna works in indie horror pretty good. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, Zach, where can people find you? Because I know they're going to be enamored with you after this little podcast that we're doing. Easiest way to find me is on Instagram at Z-A-C is not funny. And then my current backup Twitter is Z-A Spook Show. Z-A Spook Show. And you can also catch him on his own podcast, Zach Amico's Midnight Spook Show, which I've uh-huh. been consuming. And the the premise of that is you do kind of like a MSK 3000 style podcast breakdown watching of a uh, underrated horror film. Yeah, we like to do genre movies, so I would call that horror movies, B movies, uh, uh, exploitation movies, anything that you could probably classify as a midnight movie. And I'll have comedians, filmmakers, personalities on, and we do live commentary, so it's just an extra audio track. And then we always try to do it on something that's currently on a streaming service. So that way, if people want to watch, we do a 10 count. And you can sync it right up along. You don't have to pay anything. Uh, we're on gasdigitalnetwork.com. And I do a free stream of the show Fridays at midnight. Uh, so if people want to watch the movie and with us talking over it, we do one free stream Fridays at midnight uh, up on gasdigitalnetwork.com. Oh, that's awesome, man. How long have you been doing comedy? I've been doing comedy for 14 years. Oh, we've also been doing comedy for what seems like forever. <laughs> Not 14 years. No, not even remotely. So I got to give it to you. Time. Yeah. 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 It's like dog ears for us. We just feel it extra over here. So where are you out of? I am currently in Brooklyn, but I am uh, I do the road mostly. Yeah. Uh, if anybody wants to catch me, just uh, stay tuned to my social media. But I know I'll be on the road uh, coming up quite a bit. Uh, mostly uh, East Coast stuff. You coming down through North Carolina? I would like to soon. I know I have a club, one or two clubs down there uh, that I'm looking more. at. We'll hook you oh. up. We're, book- we're both bookers. I would like that very much. Yeah. We'll see how the interview goes. Yeah, let's see. Let's, not, <laughs> you, you know, you let's, know. Not, let's not put the cart before the horse. Exactly. So it is Pride Month. We wanted to kind of touch on the relationship between horror movies and gender roles and things like that. And we thought we would reach out to you because you do have a really impressive resume regarding horror genre uh yeah and uh one of my favorite things in the world uh so believe it or not the worlds of horror and podcasting 
do have a lot of knee-jerk reactionists. And it's no. <laughs> one of my favorite joys in the world to, no matter what movie we're watching, uh, somehow try to explain that it's gay. Uh, Give us an example of that. Get, like, if oh. I throw a movie at you, can you can you tell me how it's gay? Uh, no, usually I have to think about it for a while. Oh, okay. Uh, but my favorite, anything, uh, my fa- I mean, when people don't realize how wildly gay the Child's Play series is. Uh, I mean, just so, so fetishy in the, uh, the sequels, just all these, all these boys only events, uh, to the oh point, I mean, God, mil- right. the, the military school. And then when you hear Don oh. Mancini speak and you're like, oh, wow, he makes, uh, <laughs> John Waters look like Arlie Ermey. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, dude, the whole idea of the little boy with a secret and the dual personality. Yeah, you can interpret it pretty quick. Uh, lots of vampire stuff. I was I about to ask you that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very heavy on bisexuality. The werewolf, you know, you woke up the next morning next to a body. You're naked. You don't know what you did, but you're ashamed. I always love the the werewolf is a period metaphor. Yeah, done extremely well, of course, oh, with it- the Ginger Snaps <laughs> movies. Oh, we talked about, we were on a, yeah, yeah, we've thoroughly explored the Ginger Straps, Ginger Straps, Ginger Snaps. Ginger, that's a different series. There yeah. you that's, go. Yeah. That's, Still that's, applicable a, that's a redhead with an attachment. Yes. Ah, boom. Look at you. Zach is very funny. I'll get commentators that are like, Zach, Str- you, you can't find a way to make this guy. I will find a way to make this again. I mean, and then, of course, the, the quintessential gay horror movie is Nightmare on Elm Street, too. I thought you were going to say Sleepaway Camp. Because something put that back into my head. She's been talking about this all day. I have been talking about this. It's getting annoying for my friends. But it's still, it's like one of those things that you can, it it still sets people off. People can't decide if that was groundbreaking in a good way or horrendously offensive, which maybe, maybe we should summarize the plot. I don't know. I don't want to ruin it. Do a quick summary. Um, This is going to be a spoiler alert. Should I say that? Would that help you get through Spoiler alert. So there's a terrible uh, jet skiing accident and uh, uh, a little, uh, a child, neutral child is uh is orphaned and uh goes to live with their aunt and the aunt already has a boy so she wants a girl so you see this entire progress they she she goes to sleepaway camp and does girl things and she makes a, a little boyfriend at sleepaway camp and she's maybe like i don't know what are they 13 14 and there's all of this, you know, she's an outcast and um, has a hard time making friends and has a hard time. I, I don't like I don't know why you need to be like going all the way with your your slumber camp boyfriend at like 12. You, you didn't however. do that? Yeah, but there's a there's like a scene where they, they try to like he tries to like round all of the bases and she's like, no, no. And then at the very end, the the flash reveal is that uh, she's a murderer and she has a dick. Da 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 da. And I would be more upset about the dick, I think. So, uh, <laughs> so some people was. can interpret it as transphobic in that, you know, you're same as like your uh, Norman Bates, uh, uh, Raising Cain, all these movies where the, 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 uh, either the bill. Tra- yes, the trans person, the cross dresser, the transvestite, whatever they are in that movie is portrayed as psychopathically evil. The villain, but with yeah. Sleepaway Camp, everyone's very shitty to her. So she's almost oddly an anti-hero. 
Like, everyone's pretty abusive and mean to her. So I could see how it could be interpreted as, like, a revenge movie. Um, and then with the other ones, they never really mentioned the um, trans thing again because she's then played by Pamela Springsteen. And I don't think, other than the fact that she won't shower, they don't go into that ever again. Hmm. And you think she's just shy? Like, that's the way that it's... It's, yeah, uh, and then um, she act in the horrible Return to Sleepaway Camp, the fourth one. She is under the guise of a sheriff, so she re- she's a trans woman in male drag, stalking the site of the original killings. That is a very bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was lost in your description. I, I like I'm weak in this field. Jen is the strong one in the horror movie situation, so I just kind of tag along. Yeah, it's very very it. bad. It's with um. Vincent Pastore, I think his name is, the guy that played Big Pussy on The Sopranos, and um, Paul Iacono, who is uh, 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 like a Broadway star. And uh, it's very, 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 by the way, very nice guy, but a very, very bad movie. We've all been there. The whole franchise is like, like Sleepaway Camp isn't itself a cinematic triumph i think the i think what keeps it around is that people watch it and they can't decide if they need to be righteously angry or not well i enjoyed two and three a lot i think um the the depths are very creative um from a uh a piggish male point of view excellent nudity and then uh it's got one of my favorite sequences ever where um there's a news reporter doing a bit on the camp and she asks so in one of them, they turn into a camp for like uh, misguided youth, where they're gonna uh, pair rich kids with kids from the hood, who they're trying to like salvage. And uh, the news reporter asks uh, the kids for drugs, and the killer, uh, she's, "I'll get, I, I, I'll sell you coke," and she just fills a bag with Ajax mm. and sells it to her. And you watch the news reporter do a line of Ajax and then die in the news van, which I absolutely love. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite deaths because it's one of the only deaths where the character requested their death. And that's the thing about exploitation horror that I think sets it apart from similar action movies and like other things of that era is you do get that plot twist where you get, there's that revenge element where you have that, you know, Catharsis. sometimes a person's minority status can be their whole identity, but then they have this agency and they do something. And like in, in indie horror, a lot of the time it's, it's very over the top, um, you know, and, and like comical to the point of not being gross or gory because it's just, it's just so much, you know. I follow you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that the tide is turning? Because a long time ago with what with the horror genre that was the villainization. Like you have a character, like you were saying, like they're transgender or, you know, they're gay and that they're automatically the villain. Do you think that it's becoming that that is something that's changing as we are slowly evolving in society? Yeah. I think we're seeing a lot more um, uh, openness with that. I know the new Texas chainsaw, I think had a non, a non-binary character from correct. Uh, uh, and Leatherface I mean, is kind of non-binary. Yeah, I mean Leatherface <laughs> yeah, is a, a cross-dresser uh, without a shadow of a doubt. And then 
but I don't think it's just horror. I mean, um, as far as the, the the villainization of the gay character, yeah, uh, I, you know, this isn't a groundbreaking opinion, but just every Disney villain, super gay, super. I mean, Jafar, yeah. crazy gay. Uh, Snake in uh, Jungle Book has the biggest lisp in the world. Ursula is just fucking divine. Yes, Ursula is divine. That Without is true. A doubt. So Ursula is just a big book. Any, any child back in the 90s who had cool <laughs> aunts or uncles got that mm-hmm. immediately. We're like, oh. The uh, the king in um, the, uh, Robin Hood, they all have this very effeminate, effeminate application. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't think that's anything wildly uh, attached just to horror. Um, I think there's also like a... Um, villainization of the lack of masculinity and the idea of like nobility and that like oh the king is a fancy boy uh because he's never had to work a day in his life so that's yeah. almost more of like a demonization of the royal class the, yeah, the i was gonna say yeah it's a than it is, class yeah situation. it's more like a working class commentary um but yeah no i think hard definitely has made just with um the Women taking the power back at a lot of these. Uh, Ginger Snaps, phenomenal. Teeth. Uh, I guess all these. No teeth. <laughs> yeah, we know teeth. Uh, where, uh, you know, it is the old. Even if you go back as far as like your. Um, uh, the rape revenge type exploitation movies. We're seeing less and less of. The first R and the, a lot more of the second R. Like it's not mm-hmm. the fetishization of the rape scene anymore. It's all about the revenge part. Like the revenge and I, the first I spit on your grave, those murders are like an after the, her getting revenge is like an afterthought. And she's just brutalized for fucking 45 minutes. Now I think you would never have a movie that went in that direction. And I think there's a lot more, um, and from personal experience, uh, a lot more characters are being written as gay or or lesbian or trans without it being the only thing about them i'll say uh, the last few movies i've been in uh return to newcomb high has a lesbian couple in it that are in no way really um made fun it's it, it's Plot more point. of like yeah it, it, it just happens to be two girls uh, well, stranger, like thing, stranger things is doing that too mm-hmm. now. you kind of need a bechdel test for we act, you know, it's so funny weirdness. on all the trauma movies. <laughs> yeah. We actually do a Bechdel test in the script reading. Tell the listener what that is. Uh, Bechdel test is uh, basically if you make a movie, it does not pass the Bechdel test unless two female characters have a conversation about something that's not a guy. So it doesn't count if they're talking about a guy. They need to have a conversation that drives the plot forward that is about the movie, not about the way a guy is treating them. And you'll be amazed when you really start thinking about it, a lot of them don't. You know, like a lot of really classic, because it has to be a woman talking to a woman about not a man. Yes. Do you find that females that write, though... Like if you have a female screenwriter that does that, do you do you find that that happens more that you can, or is it you know you see I'm I'm very inarticulate with this question. If you have a female screenwriter, they're writing the plot. 
is it going to pass the Bechdel test every time? No, not at all. I not mean, at all. Okay. Yeah, I, I would say that it, it, it may be more likely because female screenwriters may be more likely to write more strong female characters. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it definitely, um, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think of like, as far as like great female horror directors, I'm going to go Mary Lambert, uh, who did Pet Cemetery 1 and 2. And I don't know if that passes it. I don't know if American Psycho passes it. I believe that was directed by a woman. Uh, and I'm trying to think what else am I missing as far as like big class. You know, I'm sure American Mary does. Yeah, the the Sasuke sisters stuff does. Yeah, yeah. But even and like then, the great, like Jurassic Park doesn't. If you yeah, <laughs> start, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing yeah. this through whole new eyes. Yeah, you guys are like really illuminating this for me. But then, like, think about how it's it's equally rare in that genre of horror, like those earlier days, to have a queer character talking to another queer character about something other than being queer. So, oh yeah, absolutely. it's kind of like, yeah, it's the same. Well, it's like bar for just existence. Yeah, that's what I kind of wanted to talk yeah. about or explore a little bit because it, it it just seems like that was the only, like you guys were saying, like that's the only thing they were bringing to the storyline because it was sensational for ever, you know, and now it's just becoming more mainstream, which is awesome. But I'm wondering if there's any resistance from audiences or things like that. Of course, if Indy has its own audience. Yeah, it's not like there's not a bunch of church moms boycotting yeah. you know, the, the second Newcomb High. <laughs> In like yoga pants, just not getting organized. Yeah, but it's so fun. So, like, especially for personal experience, uh, I get it from both sides. Uh, where I have been called uh, a, a wild leftist who's wokeifying trauma and, and who's gone out of their way to, to make it uh, hipstery and liberal, and then at the other end, I've had people say that I'm alt right. And that I'm going out of my way to make uh, uh, more offensive and that, to make it racist and sexist. And that, so it's literally just, I guess, how you're watching it. Uh, yeah. we, uh, we do make offensive movies. And I think we do play with what pushes people's buttons. And it's just so funny how two different people can watch the exact same thing and be offended for the opposite reasons. So what's your, what? how do you... Um... How do you respond to those criticisms on either side? Like, how do you respond to the left or the right? Like, what do you say in response to those? I couldn't possibly give a shit. Okay, well, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep making movies. Uh, uh, if you don't like them, don't watch them. If yeah. you do like them, thank you. But um, no, there's no matter what you do, I, I, I've been, I've gotten it in my comedy career, my horror career from both sides. I've been called I, I I've been called every gay slur. I've been called a Nazi. Uh, I, I I've been called an SJW, and I've been called you know a puppet of the alt right. And uh, do you think that this is mostly because you just refuse to pander, or is it? I mean, let's be honest. For some reason, indie horror is obsessed with Nazis. What is yeah. that? <laughs> Everybody is obsessed with Nazis as a plot device. What's going on with the Nazis? Um, I think. It's just, it's, it's easy. If you want to talk about the actual content of films, it's, it's easy. It's got all this um, exploitation, all this offensiveness to it. You don't have to explain somebody's a bad guy if they got a swastika up on the wall. Right. Um, trauma, I mean, we made surf Nazis must die, which is very, very good. 
and I will stick by. It's a very, very fun movie. Um, but yeah, you know somebody's a bad guy, and it's an easy trope. And plus, uh, especially if it's horror comedy, it's so funny to make fun of Nazis. And we're coming up on, what, the second or third generation that was raised on Mel Brooks movies, where like it's almost like, oh, let's see what they're going to do to this Nazi. Because it's going to be funny. <laughs> it's Nazi time. Yeah. Nazis uh, and zombies. You can just yeah. kill. <laughs> yeah. The and Nazi always, zombies. Bingo. Yeah. And uh, I think, yeah, I mean, I was definitely, what have I, oh, I played a, what is the, I think it's called Life is, is it Life is, I'm trying to remember, I was in a, a VHS movie, a shot on VHS movie by Kurt, Kurt Dirt, who's a musician in England. And uh, I played a uh, a cross-dressing Nazi scat porn star, and it was like one of my favorite days. I, I, I got so eat, much there. I got to eat fake poop, and I think they just let me improv it. And I said, "I hate Jews, but I love shit." What was your fake poop made out of? <laughs> oh, um, so the easiest thing is always just a baby Ruth. That you put in the, just caddyshack put it. it in the water. Um, we have used many things. Shakespeare Shitstorm has about, I think at one point we had about 350 gallons of fake shit. The movie is about, uh, it's our version of Shakespeare's The Tempest. And the storm the boat gets in is actually whales jumping over the boat and having whale diarrhea. And that shit was made out of Water, tapioca starch, brown food coloring, and a few other fillers. I know we had oatmeal in there for texture. Uh, and then, as per Lloyd Kaufman's insistence, corn. And when we said whales whale don't eat whale corn, corn. corn. these said, are Iowa whales. Yeah, we said whales don't eat corn. He said it doesn't matter, it's funny. It is funny. <laughs> See corn. I'm a special effects girl, so I have to ask these. Yeah, the tapioca questions. starch is really, if you're going to make a lot, the tapioca starch is a great thickening agent. Um, and then you can go from there. Um, and yeah, like brown food coloring and a few other things. But we had a few different consistencies. And then we had a number of uh, latex turds for if we needed them for a sight gig. All right. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's the one body fluid I haven't replicated in my career. Yeah, usually, I think, what did I, oh, I used, like, um, I just sent somebody to the store for, like, chocolate, like, like, like a little, like, dollar store cake kind of thing, and you smush it up, and, like, with a chocolate bar, and it looks, it looks gross on screen. I work in an embalming lab, so it's all real poop in my life. I'm fascinated by you guys and the fake poop. There's there is corn in my day job. Real corn. Real corn, not sea corn. <laughs> I don't even know how to go ahead. No, no, no. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say I don't even know how to recover from this tangent and then you yeah, have I got nothing. I'm I'm lost in it. Yeah. So what's so what prompted you to get started in the horror genre? Just your love of horror? Like were you a little kid and you were like, yes. Uh yeah, I've been nuts about horror since I saw Halloween on like on Halloween night on USA, uh, probably when I was like eleven. Yeah, went on an absolute tear. Got obsessed with 
Scream when Scream was like hot. When Scream sure. was like a big like I got into the first Scream when Scream Two was like coming out. Mm. Um and from there, just not to always bring it back to trauma, but I saw the Toxic Avenger when I was thirteen. Oh 14, yes. And I rewound it, watched it again, and just knew I've always wanted to be a part of horror. Were so you Good. Was it scary to you in early childhood? Did you have to come around to it, or were oh, you terrified? I my aunt and uncle showed me the first child's play when I was little, and it wrecked me. Uh, <laughs> I was terrified of it. Uh, yeah, I'm still shit terrified. Um, uh, Texas Chainsaw, Poltergeist, I think, is way scarier than it gets credit for. But yeah, well, I mean, still stuff will, will get me. Depends on how you feel about kids. The yeah. most recent it super gay. I'm thinking about oh. it now. Now I'm thinking about everything like that now. Yeah, I wasn't nuts about the added um, crush in the new it because it felt shoehorned and unnecessary. Uh, it felt like, uh, and listen, I, I, I'm such a proponent that uh, representation matters, and, and I love when movies everybody can feel represented. But it felt like too little, too like it felt like that they didn't even decide that till the second one. Like that, that Bill Hader was going to have the crush, right? Oh, I just um, meant that version of Pennywise, super gay. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah <laughs> Why absolutely. do you feel like that version was more gay than the Tim Curry version? It was a yeah. very okay. Well, despite having, I feel like the Tim Curry version was somehow less effeminate than. Oh yeah, the scars. Yeah, guard. yeah. So, but I you can't put my finger on why. I mean, Skarsgård almost was more dressed like a fancy little girl with the puffs and the, the more... Um, Tight-fitting sleeves in the big, the big shoulder. Yeah. Um, mm. but, I mean, what a, I wonder if they came to Tim Curry with the idea of him having that weird Brooklyn accent <laughs> that he loses a few times. A few times, yeah. A few times. My favorite is, he's like, you'll float down here, Georgie. And when you're down here, and then he goes British. Well, you flirt too. Like it's so weird. It breaks the moment. Let's yeah, see. a few people break. Um, the guy in Saw breaks his accent. The main guy that's chained up—I always forget his name. He accidentally goes British a few times as well. The oh. guy from Princess Bride, I think. He was under a lot of stress. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. I was like, he was under duress. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. But Stephen King writes a lot of um, gay and lesbian characters, always in the negative. Let's see. Yeah, I can see that. He doesn't like... Stephen King is a great writer, but he doesn't like... I think he's the author that doesn't like... No, I think it's um, Tim Burton. He always makes his villains big. Like, a lot of times, a lot of his... They're overweight characters. Like, he's definitely got a slant toward that in his animation. Um, well, in the in Stephen King, in the book, it the entire thing that sets off it returning to Derry is oh, oh uh, yeah, gay bashing. That's the very first chapter. Um, mm. And I think had that been done a little bit better in the movie, it may not have like I wouldn't have been as taken aback by uh, the Bill Hader character needing to be. Yeah, it was, it was nothing wrong with it. It just felt um, like an added. Uh, it felt like a hat on a hat. They were all going through enough. I don't yeah. know if I needed this. It, 
there's already a love story amongst the six friends. I don't. It felt like uh, an extra thing. And then The Shining has that bizarre seconds-long scene of a furry blowjob, which is probably the most shoehorned representation. You know, I believe that's vaguely referenced in the book. It is. I believe it's a mob boss and, like, um, uh, somebody they're having an affair with, and it was a costume party. Am I wrong? It, But, like, he didn't have to be a giant dog. It was a costume party, like, like a masquerade ball and somebody right. like yeah. get, in a full costume and showed up as a German shepherd as a German shepherd. <laughs> like, Let's do this. Yeah. So that wasn't like a weird Stanley Kubrick decision. He was, he was being true to the literature. Yeah. <laughs> but again, to... written in a very disposable way. Yeah. I'm trying to think what other Stephen King stuff has a lot of gay cat as, Oh, what, the, what am I missing? Uh, needful Things. Wasn't there okay. a character in Needful Things? And of course he had to go because he was homosexual. Uh, there's a lot of um, incest. Like Tommyknockers had a situation. Of course a father. There's all, And that's always there too. Stephen King writes a lot of bad dads and bad uncles touching little boys and things. Help me yeah, out. I, I, uh, <laughs> you guys are just staring at me like, I don't no, want to be a weirdo that knows this. No, I'm trying, I'm trying to think as well. My opinion, like I, I did enjoy the Institute, which he wrote pretty recently. But I, did, entire, I didn't read that. It was it, the I entire just... book. I was convinced that it was about to become a sequel to Firestarter, yeah. and then it ended. And I went, "Oh, I guess I'm... I just was reading too much into it." I read about that book, and they were saying it was like a dark Harry Potter, essentially. And um, <laughs> but I liked that. But other than that. I feel the same, and this is, I'm, I'm sorry for anyone in recovery, I don't, I don't want to say it, but I feel the same way about Stephen King that I do about uh, James Hetfield from Metallica, where, like, don't you just want to go up to him with, like, a bottle of Jack Daniels and a bag of Coke and be like, you, you were better. You. Yeah, you, you were better. Than. You. Yeah. Come on. Well, just give me one, just, we'll take you right to treatment after. Right. <laughs> right there. But you got one more in you. Because, like, when Stephen King goes, I don't remember writing Cujo. You're like, well, shit, man. It was excellent. what were you doing? Coke, lots yeah. and lots of coke. <laughs> yeah. Mm. This has actually come up in my house a lot lately. My partner has been talking about. Yeah, yeah, he's been talking about it a lot. He's like, yeah, people are brilliant on cocaine. I'm like, well, let's not, let's not right now. Oh, cocaine, not Cujo. No, no, I think okay. he was talking about we would just be so much better at cleaning the house if we had. Some stimulants, maybe. Well, you're better at cleaning the house until you lose the house. <laughs> so, do you feel like your own? Do you? I don't know how to ask this question delicately. Like, do you feel like the filmmaker? Do you feel like your, um, your own sexuality plays a part in how you view these movies? Um, I do. I think that I'm always probably a little more uh, open to what it could mean. I mm -hmm. think I'm definitely. Uh, more attuned to when guys share a moment and how that could be portrayed or interpreted. And, um, yeah, I, I absolutely, I, I do think, uh, you know, being bisexual that I, 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 I'm not saying I'm looking for it in movies, but when it does occur or does something is, um, a little more queer, I, 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 I jump at it quicker.
like and the su- find, like the subtle queerness. Yeah, and like, I oh, find, there it is. Yeah, I find the the fun. I mean, it is. There's a lot of dress up, and there's a lot of uh, uh, of. Uh, I think some of you know, and I'll go back. To Nightmare on Elm Street too. If you've never watched it with gay guys, uh, it is <laughs> a blast. It's so like the fact that people even upon first viewing. Because essentially, it's a gay softcore porn where every time somebody's about to fuck, they get cockblocked by Freddy Krueger. Uh, the fact that he I mean, goes he's to the a virtue gay, police. Yeah, he goes to a gay leather bar and sees his gym coach there, and the gym coach's punishment for going to a gay bar is he makes him work out and then shower, and then Freddy whips the gym teacher naked with towels to death. Yeah. It's, so people get kind of, it's easy to move away from that because like in the first one, it's very important that Freddy Krueger is a child molester who was burned alive. And the, I mean, that's kind of that's not exactly where you want to start for a coded character. But then the franchise lived so long and it lives so many lives that I, I kind of feel like I remembered that tidbit just now, even having seen them all many times. Well, OK, is it and forgive my ignorance. Is it inherent in the first few that he was also a molester or that he was just a murderer? I feel like the remake is what really hammered the molesty. They did make him more molesty. Maybe maybe it's just because I can't under Like when somebody's like, if you're going to kill a bunch of kids, you might as well fuck them too. I guess. (laughs) It's a Groupon situation. Yeah. You're already there. Yeah, of course. If it's got attachments. But. They don't necessarily say that. <laughs> they don't necessarily uh, say that he was also a, a child molester in the, um, first. in the first one. And they also cut out um, a scene where they explain why he's targeting that group of kids, which is um, Nancy finds something that belonged to an older sister that she didn't remember. And you find out that all the parents, all the kids that die in the first one, are the younger siblings of his original victims, whose parents killed Freddy. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, there's a scene that got, I don't know if it was shot, but it was in the script, where she finds something that's like she had an older sister that she didn't know about. That would kind of make a lot of sense if they'd have left that in. Yeah, and it would make him, it would make him seem a lot less... Diddlery. Diddlery. Well, there's also the well, idea. He's still a diddler. Well, there's also the idea that he didn't do it. Oh, that he was a wrongfully accused diddler. Diddler, or tra- and well, they he- killed him, and that he's a ve- he's a ven- uh, spirit of vengeance. But he definitely killed the. Are, are they trying to get him off scot free? Like, right, as I say, that would almost make him noble. You know, um, like, it was. I martyr. I know it was at one point. It's never canon, but I believe it is. Uh, discussed at some point that he possibly there's that he was like a patsy. Oh yeah. no, no. Well, then why take revenge on all of the kids? No, well, he was getting their parents through them. Yeah, I guess that's the... listen. He probably killed those kids. It's like when you watch a documentary kids. on Netflix and you're like, "Yeah, is that what he's doing?" Yeah, yeah, but he probably. I mean. Right. <laughs> 
It's like, okay, yeah, an owl flew in her hair, but yeah, her husband probably threw her down the stairs. Right, exactly. It's making a murderer. First 48. Yeah, every time they're like, listen, I want to believe it, but put a gun to my head and ask me, if, did that guy kill his wife? Every time I'm going to go, yeah, that's who does that. So do you watch all movies with the with the ability to make them gay? Like if you're watching a Hallmark Christmas movie, are oh, you like, dude, I, I love, I, <laughs> can I, can you do this? Like, I, I need to know the level of your skill set here. So I actually, uh, there's a, a director, uh, who I always reference with this and he does, um, Christmas movies and kind of Hallmarky movies. Yeah. He does kids movies. He used to do full moon horror movies and still does sometimes David Decatel. And, uh, so he makes under his own name Twink Softcore Porn. And it's always ripped young guys in like tidy whities swimming, wrestling, and then like rubbing themselves in bed. And he has pseudonyms in which he does Christmas movies and kids' movies. One of the movies we did on my show that he did is called, and I have to say it in this way because of the punctuation in the title, A Talking Cat. Because it's a talking cat, uh, question mark, exclamation, question mark, exclamation. So it's a talking cat. Wow. And it's a family who's brought, to, two families are brought together by a talking cat, played by Eric Roberts, who very obviously did his lines on his couch, because his sound does not match <laughs> his, the rest of the movie. On his phone. <laughs> He's putting it in with that. And I've done commercials like that. What's weird about all this guy, or this person's body of work, everything's at his house. And it's the same mansion for all, for the horror movies. Oh, that's so weird. For the gay porn, for the kids' movies, which is also a talking pony. Uh, <laughs> There's a series. <laughs> and uh, the Christmas movies, they are all at the same house, and he doesn't even like move his furniture around. And they also rent out that house for porn. Yeah. So it's this really surreal thing where you're watching a Hallmark type Christmas movie or a kids movie, and you're like, "I've seen. Why do I know, I know that, that couch. staircase?" That actually happened to a friend of mine in Las Vegas. She had this. Her friend gave her this amazing, beautiful fake potted plant. Like it was a big. You know, that's that junk's expensive. And so he was a filmmaker and he gave it to her. And then she told me later she was watching porn and she saw the same plant. She's And she knew her friend had been involved in that, the production of, and she's like, I have the porn tree in my living room now. I guess it's better than getting a plant from Miramax. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. No, but like we talked to it. We talked to a, a really lovely woman on uh, this podcast last year who uh, sometimes she wrote these really oh. sweet, uh, sexless romance novels that were I've been very thinking late. about her this whole interview as soon as for, you said that for your grandma and then sometimes she wrote a hardcore zombie porn yes um, oh, and yeah. by sometimes she means all the time mm -hmm. and, and she's so good at both of these genres she's an award-winning romance writer and then she and does if they the gave awards porn, for zombie yes. porn whatever like frozen boner award like or something like that like that would be the zombie award that she gets and she's a lovely it's wonderful a wonderful person it's like it's add that to the egot <laughs> yeah oh yeah that uh i uh i i i've been known to um 
work alongside people in the adult industry who also are uh, they have a million other jobs and you would oh. never know um i'm a big like i i love that that there could be that mix and that like uh i've worked with people that are like you know that you would never know that the uh the prop master for the show everybody likes also made zombie porn yeah it's weird. I, mean, we kind of know I know it because like I, I I know it because it's my buddy. <laughs> That's funny. So, have you always been open about your sexuality? Like, you've never had an issue with that. You seem very out front and like you know, this is who I am. If you don't like it, suck it. Um, I wasn't like out and about about it for uh, probably until my early twenties mm. uh, or almost mid twenties by then. Um, and then just the more I work, the more I started talking about it and then starting to do podcasts, uh, I was already comfortable with it. Good. Yeah. I've never come out. I've never like made a thing of it. I just have always kind of kept it as part of a, it comes up in a conversation. I've discussed it. Uh, you know, I, I used to like lean into it. Like, you know, I've been known to dabble <laughs> in, in the same gender, but yeah, no, I, um, I've been doing my one podcast for about seven, eight years. And from the beginning of that, I've always been out. Um, and that's about, maybe a little longer than that now, because I've been with my wife for almost eight years. And I started that before then. So, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't hide it, but it wasn't like a personality point either. Right. Like just, you know. Good. Yeah, Nobody's I think shocked. male bisexuality is probably the hardest road, I guess. Like, mm -hmm. just to, to make an observation as a straight, I would imagine that that's... It's, I have had people to my face tell me they don't believe me. Why do they care? <laughs> like, why I don't know. I, I, why never would you lie about that? I've always had people to my I've had people to my either that I'm gay and in denial, or that, you know, uh, I'm straight and just... The, the a very very common one would be that well you're straight but you were just so desperate for sex in certain moments that you were willing to do gay stuff. Is that uh, a thing? Oh, that's a thing I've been told. Yeah, yeah, it's um, mm -hmm. you know, it, there's everyone has their own, and to me, that's a person who is in denial of themselves. Like they right. probably had a few gay thoughts, and they're like, well, that's not possible. Uh, yeah, the, the weirder just, you are about it, you're probably... And to me, it's always just that every, every... I think everybody exists on some type of fluidity, and that, you know, there is some, you know, there is something some gay, something a little something a little gay you, you thought or done, and that's... The, it's just where you fall on the spectrum, but whatever. And what do you think... What do you think it is about it? Because I don't think that there was, like, a like a Disney meeting where they sat down and decided to make, maybe there was, I don't know. But if there was like a creative decision to have a bunch of coded queer villains, or do, do you think it was like an intentional kind of maligning of a group of people? Or do you think it's one of those things kind of like vampires where it's something sort of like androgyny is mysterious and hard to understand. And there's something kind of, attractive about, exotic about it yeah. that I think it could be very much like vampires and that it's not necessarily on purpose um, I think again actually what we touched on before is probably close to that the idea of the working class versus nobility and nobility's being seen as uh, not soft yeah yes. very soft um, 
And then there's probably just these coding things that are so fucking built into us that you would have to go hundreds of years back to even understand them. Like, um, look at the way, if somebody's going to draw a caricature of the devil, right? Mm -hmm. That is going Tim to Curry. look... Well, I'm talking the, the big nose, the goatee, all that shit. That's anti-Semitism. Right. From hundreds and hundreds of years ago, whenever Satan was drawn, he was drawn with the um, stereotypical Nazi propaganda Jewish character, uh, character yeah. traits. We now, when we see the devil, we always, how's the devil look? And you think of that guy, this cartoon character, but that's hundreds of years of anti-Semitism that's just kind of got in inbred into the its way, way. Yeah. into this hmm. thing. But now you wouldn't even think of it that you're like that goddamn Jew devil. But that's what it was then. So we that's probably the sound have... bite I think people are gonna <laughs> lift from this episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh I've said I've said You're going to show shows, don't worry. I say I Don't if, hold back. If somebody if somebody ever decided to make the crazy shit Zach said compilation <laughs> That's more of a job on them for whatever's going to happen to me. <laughs> it's a good fucking wheel. luck. Good, good luck picking a top ten. So, tell me what's gay about Gremlins. Oh, okay. Uh, We're 45 minutes into this. I want to, yeah, I'm just... Gremlins you feed them after midnight, Gremlins. they change. That's just women on their period, though, don't you think? Boy, this is a whole this is a whole game. Like, is it is it women on their period or is it gay? gay. Yeah, gr gremlins. I'm, I'm listen. I know it's got to be in there. Uh, now you're in, Jenna. Like, what what's gay about gremlins? You can see around the corner here. I mean, gremlin. I mean, definitely the having two sides to your personality. Uh, the 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 wild person and the the, the hidden the hidden. Yeah. yeah, the hidden wild, the hidden. Okay, it comes out uh, at night. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. water. Something about water. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something with yeah, yeah. You lube them up, they go wild. You lube them up, and they go wild. <laughs> uh, That's what we'll call the episode. <laughs> also, um, don't forget, gremlins reproduce asexually. That's they do. different. Don't think of you know they the uh, males give birth to males. There is a one lady gremlin, right? Like the Smurfette. Oh yeah, yeah. was but, that really a lady one? I thought that was a gremlin was she, in drag. Was she, was she in drag? There you I go. Thought she was in drag. And there it yeah, is. So, so just answer my own question. If gremlins fuck, probably gay. You are a master at this. Way to go, Zach. I'm going to ask you one more just because it's my favorite movie. And I don't know. Okay. If, it doesn't really fall on the spectrum of horror, but it's Jaws. Mm. Three guys out on a boat. They've yeah. Been on a, they've, been on a long, they've been on a lot of journeys together. It was a day. The first they were only thing they, one day. No, but uh, between the three of them, they spent a lot of time out on the water. Okay. Not together. What's the first thing they do when they get drunk? Is They start Same. taking their clothes off and showing each other scars. Okay. Oh. Okay. That's an excuse to strip in front of your boys. I was thinking the shark was more gay because he was very large and flashy. 
But I can see where you're going with this. I, I was just was named Mexico. Bruce. Bruce, which used yeah. Used to be a code for very gay. quintessential gay. Lore. That used to be like an old time Johnny Carson joke. Right. A couple of guys named Bruce. No. But it was definitely a dude shark. His name is was it, Bruce. What is it? It wasn't the shark in the second one. It's baby. Right. Was like, it like son or He was an absentee father. Okay. Well, I guess it didn't have to be the great white parent of. Yeah, I wasn't sure. It was a foster shark. (laughs) This is a nature versus nurture situation. I got nothing. Yeah, anything with a lot of dudes (laughs) out on the water. um, The one that I love to say is gay is the thing. Oh yeah. You're telling me they were up there that long, just dudes, nothing happened, and then uh, yeah, a bunch of guys are up. They're alone together. Somebody gets something, and now we all have to take a blood test to find <laughs> out who's got it. What I'm about forever alien? ruined. Oh yeah, Alien. He's probably done Alien before. Like that I don't seems. Think like... I've done Alien. Um, yeah. I mean, just the idea of it being in how it enters you. Uh. Even though the that is so vaginal, the the actual alien, the um, the face hugger, but still, yeah, it enters you. You have a monster inside you. It bursts out of you. It's very phallic. It is. The uh, mm. mouth coming out of the mouth is pretty penisy. Um, <laughs> another th- on away from the 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 original question. One thing I love. I read something recently that I really love that alien. Uh, Event Horizon, a lot of these like great spaceship movies, they're haunted house movies. Yes. That yeah, are just yeah. in space. And I love that. That's yeah. so fucking interesting to me. That it's all the tropes beginning to end of a haunted house movie. It's just they're on a they're in a haunted house in space. Right. Right. That's true. Gay haunted house in space. That sounds so fun, by the way. You need to make that movie, Zach. Gay Haunted House in Space. Gay, the best little gay haunted house in Space, Texas. See how I merged um, all that? We, there's like a, a Nazi shootout. Lots of Nazis. In, in space. That have to die. Space and then, Nazis. Like, and then little mm-hmm. Nas X is there doing his rendition of Jolene, which was brilliant. Very, very good. It was very good. Yeah, I work at a country station. It took everything I had not to talk about that on the air. <laughs> so good. I'm a big fan of Miley Cyrus's Jolene. I think she's yes. got such a beautiful voice. She and that she got to do it with Dolly is just so good. Aren't they? That's her um, godmother. godmother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lucky. Yeah, well. no, you believe it or not, for someone who uh, looks and speaks like this, uh, big George Jones, David Allen Co. guy over here. Oh, and are you from New York? You're from Brooklyn? Yeah, I'm from, I'm from uh, about 10 minutes out of New York and Jersey. And then I moved to Brooklyn taste. when I was 17. Nice, yeah. Who doesn't? Have- have, it, it came from uh, Hank the Third. I got it to Hank the Third. Oh, that got me oh. into the classics. I am so into Hank the Third. I want him to go back on tour so badly, or just get sober for five minutes, whatever. Yeah. And I got it to him because of uh, Wonderful Whites of West Virginia. You saw the movie, yeah. I'm really, really into that documentary. They are up just up the road from <laughs> from us because we're here in North Carolina, but that's wonderful. You ever thought about doing the dancing, the Jesco White dance with the clogs? <laughs> That looks so complicated to me. It, it's it's a lot of cardio. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like it's like somebody saw tap dancing and went, "Not white enough." 
Yeah. <laughs> There's some mayo on that bad boy. <laughs> I could quote, I mean, the amount of comics that we quote Wonderful Whites of West Virginia to each other every day. De- when we, <laughs> Dennis is this. Uh, <laughs> Bouncy's gonna get some dick tonight. <laughs> I've always been the best looking one in the family. My favorite part of that, and this is just sidebar, but my favorite part of that movie is when the sister is going through the drive-thru and oh, she's, yelling, and she's like, thing. they took her baby. They took her, CBS came and took her we baby. We don't know why they took her baby. And like they everybody were just in the blowing budget. lines five minutes before. I was you know, so excited by that. read the fucking menu at Taco Bell. Yes. <laughs> she goes, y'all got mozzarella cheese sticks? And they're like, no. You know, all right, I'll have two chicken fiestas. And they go, we don't have anything called that. <laughs> she goes, but why is it on your fucking menu? Because she can't read. So she's just making up words that sound like Mexican food. Right. Yeah. So siestas. Two siestas now. I, yeah. I, we did a, a, a trauma night at um, the Bel Air Diner in Queens has a big screen. And they were doing, uh, they turned into a drive-in during nice. the pandemic. And we wound up just having a night that got like rained out, and nobody. It, we were showing one of the classic movies, and it kind of rained out, and nobody really came. But uh, Doug Sackman, who used used to be Troma's head of production, he still works with us. He has a mobile production unit that is a gutted prison bus, so wow. they take it out uh, for for movies. And it's the front is a karaoke party. But then it doubles as the wardrobe department, a place for the actors to like have a green room. And then it's got uh, all the hookups for if you need to plug in the computers, everything. And then there's two big tables that come off the side and you can become craft, a mobile craft services unit. Mm-hmm. So you can How cook on it. How big is a prison bus? It's the size of a school bus. Haven't you seen I the fugitive? Yeah. And then it's got bunks on the back. So we'll go to screenings and everybody can go on the, you know, we'll come up on the bus and we've driven to like Montreal, Buffalo, like we've taken some long uh, trips on it and we had the bus there and the diner and it was just such a bad night. The diner goes, hey, so like, we, you know, thank you guys. Obviously the screening didn't go well, but, um, you know, we're going to leave, but uh, do you want the projector and you could just watch whatever you want all night? And I that like, I know what you watched. Yeah. And we watched Wonderful Whites of West Virginia <laughs> by ourselves at a drive-in. Like the four people, is. four people in lawn chairs. We should we get them on the show. You think we need a prison bus? We four four seconds bus. ago, you, you didn't know how big it was. Mobile podcasting. I got a camper. I, we've already, we're having like an in, this is like an inside fight right now because we have. I've wanted to do mobile podcasting, and the, I've met with some resistance from someone who I'm not going to name. Uh, but yeah, just because we didn't have a prison bus. Prison bus is pretty cool. We have a freaking camper. I mean, a prison change, bus is change, a lot. changing out the latrine ain't a joy. But luckily, See? I'm not a PA anymore. Yeah, that, first, with that you. was my first job way back in the the early days when I latrine was a production duty? assistant. Oh, uh, yeah, that yeah, is the the bus sloshed up the set, and uh, hey, can you go empty this? And it was uh, it was a tough first task. That's your make or breaker right there. Like, yeah. let me see if this guy can hold up. Yeah. What's How your bad weirdest do I want experience? $75 for the day. For the whole day, exactly. Yeah. What's your weirdest on-set movie experience that you've had in your career? Um, I mean, 
every weirdo in the world shows up to a trauma movie because we put out open casting. So mm. just crazy people come all the time, uh, and you kind of have to keep an eye on people. Or, or luckily, we have a ton of great people that like kind of shoo away anybody scary. The filter. But um, my most surreal moment, and I apologize. This, this is a little offensive. I apologize, but uh, we've come this far. Uh, and I'll try to use all all non-offensive terminology here. So we were shooting Return to Newcomb High, and in Return to Newcomb High, I play a nerdy character who uh, turns on the two main characters, and they decide to prank me by uh, telling me to meet them in the teacher's lounge uh, with all my clothes off. And so I run into the teacher's lounge, and it's a PTA meeting, and I'm naked. I then am naked for like a half an hour. I do not find clothes for a long part of this movie. So we are shooting a scene where I am talking to the two girls. I strip. And I'm supposed to run down the hallway, and we rehearse it. I bang it right, and I have two PAs with sheets. They're going to cover me up. So we were shooting at what was formerly Niagara Falls High School. It is now called the NAC, and it is an artist building where people rent different former classrooms. And they have art studios there. They teach classes there. It's very, very cool. And so we're shooting there, and I do the scene. Uh, strip, I run, and I make a left by accident. Yeah! <laughs> and you're naked. <laughs> and I'm naked. And, and, and for the listener, Zach is an imposing guy. I'm like, a big boy. I'm, a, a, I'm, a, I'm a large gentleman. And I... The school, one of the things, the building, one of the things they had was... A day somebody program. Somebody ran into an AA meeting. A day program for special needs adults. Yes. When I saw and you like gathering yourself. Yes. To go further. I didn't want to say daycare or like something derogatory. Ah, a day program for special needs people. <laughs> and I ran naked into a room of forty <laughs> special needs people. And how did they react? Pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I They're think we were anything. we were we were equally surprised because <laughs> <laughs> I opened my I don't know when when you open your eyes and you had not been in a room if you said well oh, we're gonna walk into a room with forty that takes you back a second and so everybody just went ah and then I ran out and got covered up and I was like well I hope you signed autographs what is what a day for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so so whoever handled locations knew that in a different part of the building within that this was happening. No, not I even. Think- it was literally the difference between him turning right versus turning left. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like it was so far apart, like in another wing. You know, it was like, boom, boom. Hello. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> just, and it really took me. That's my favorite thing ever. Oh, my God. I love it. And I'm no stranger to, to being nude on film, being nude in public. I I, I, I I like to think it's one of my skills. Good. But boy, oh boy, was that that was a real day. <laughs> I'm so happy right now. Oh. I'm so happy. That's incredible. Yeah, we're yeah, that, that has to be one of the more memorable that has to be let me get my shit together here. That has to be a very memorable memory. Oh, yeah, so and then you can just meet crazy people all the time because 
the you were the crazy work. one in that one, though. That one's on me, yeah. Uh, you, you'll meet because we do open auditions and just tell people you have three minutes, do whatever you want. Right. A- and um, people come in with some wild shit. Some people have stuff prepared. Some people wing it. Um, some people ask for sides and then don't tell you that they can't read and they just make it oh. up anyway. Uh, okay. Yeah, I've seen it. Uh, you see it all. Uh, it's a wide assortment of characters uh, on any given uh, trauma set. Uh, Filmmaking is fun. But I, say, I tell this story a lot and I apologize. So one of the things we do when we do auditions is we also include, hey, if you have a classic car, an exotic animal, or a wild prop that you think you want immortalized on film, please let us know. Remember a number of years ago, a girl tried to get on a plane with an emotional support peacock? Absolutely. I talked about it on a different podcast. Yep. Well, here she is sitting in the office. Get out of here. The same one? Same peacock? uh, Yeah. She wants to put the peacock in the movie. Our director, Lloyd, is in his 70s. And, uh, one thing he is not is a man who has his mind changed easily. And uh, some would call it stubborn. And he decides peacock's got to be in the movie. Now, the script is done. The movie takes place on a boat and in a strip club. This is like whale corn. Yeah. He decides... <laughs> The peacock needs to be in the strip club. Doing what? We don't know. We don't know if it's dancing, if it's somebody's pet, but this peacock needs to be in the fucking movie. Can the peacock uh, take a cue? Like, how uh, does one no. direct a peacock? No, we've worked with a duck who could not take a cue. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine the peacock to be better. So, throughout the course of this few weeks of him demanding we have the peacock, we then start to get a list of the peacock's needs. It had a rider. He has a rider. Yep. Yes, he needed a U-Haul truck for all his toys and his uh, cage and his tub, uh, but he needed to ride in the front of another vehicle with uh, his his owner, or else he would get scared. Uh, he needed this food. He needed to be this temperature. Uh, he needed to be the scenes needed to be shot between such and such days at such and such a time because he molts. And he won't have his plumage. From so this is a peacock with an emotional support woman. Yes. At the end of the day. So, and every day, was all the stress of already making a very low-budget movie with a very high concept and a lot of effects, a lot of people. And every day, just another thing about this fucking peacock, right? <laughs> and just the peacock is this, and the peacock and this, and then... And every day, Lloyd checks in, and what about the peacock? We need the peacock's a major part of the film. And, and he's driving us nuts. And two or three days, we're supposed to shoot with the peacock. At 5 a.m., I get a text from the girl. Uh, my peacock, Dexter, uh, fell ill last night. And uh, we tried our best, and he passed away in my arms on the way to the vet at 6 o'clock this morning. I'm emotionally devastated. He was my best friend and my companion. I, of course, can no longer be involved in the production. Please respect my time of mourning as I will be taking a few weeks of personal time to reflect on the life of my best friend, Dexter the Peacock. And I got to send a group chat to the 50 people working on this movie 
at 6 a.m., which was just, never mind, Peacock's dead. I go back to bed. <laughs> and I slept the best sleep of the entire production. I just, I, it was my favorite time. I was like, never mind, Peacock's dead. I thought you were going to say the Peacock came at you with a better offer. He's like, I'm going with the Steven Spielberg movie. I'm so sorry oh. I have to pass. Oh, it was, I mean, just this, a, a, a deep, relaxed sleep. Of knowing I don't got to deal with this free of feathers. bird. You know, I went to an indoor dog funeral at an Episcopalian church, and I thought did. that was the that's that's not that that pales in comparison. Was that a family event or some? It was it was somebody I worked for. It was a my my boss's dog at the time. I bet that peacock funeral was epic. Oh, I bet this, it was. This isn't my story, but I have a friend who was a writer for uh, a very popular wrestling company. Uh, We're picking up what you you're throwing one. Yeah, a couple of and letters. One of, one of the lead producers raises these big, beautiful dogs. Oh. And uh, beautiful. And he takes a lot of pride in them. And one of them passed, and they had an open casket dog funeral. And they bury this big, beautiful dog in a pink casket. It's a beautiful little thing. And they bury the dog, and they lower it, and they fill it. And then from inside the grave, you hear the wife's ringtone. Oh! She was dressing the dog and put her phone down in the casket. And then they dug it up to get her phone back. You know how much it costs to open and close it? Agree, okay. like because that's my gig, like that's my job. So like, but how just, much they does said it cost? Costs a lot. It's a couple hundred bucks every time. They said it wow. was like a silent, a moment of silence, and you just hear <laughs> out of the ground, what, and then you just see her checking for her phone, and everyone realizing. I got a lot of questions. <laughs> like, did they embalm the dog, or was it just taxidermy? Like, what? I have no clue. What was involved in this dog funeral where you had an actual casket? We it talked was, to. I've only seen a photo, and it was uh, odd. We. It was like an open casket dog funeral. Yeah. What well, position was it laying in? Like, was it on <laughs> it? Was the leg of a dog? Side. Side. <laughs> Side. Like it was sleeping. Not playing dead. No, no, no. Oh, Jenna. Oh. Too soon. Too soon. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. What's common in our industry is when, like, grandma dies, and we've talked to people about this, they want to send the pet with grandma. It's very Egyptian. Like, if grandma had a cat or something, and there was a case where grandma died, and the family asked the funeral director, and we talked about this on another episode, well, you know, we, we would like her to be with her cat. And the funeral director's like, well, don't kill the cat like i can't in good faith tell you to do that and the family's like no 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 the cat's been dead for several years we just put it in the freezer oh good yeah and so they were waiting for grandma to die and so what they did is they took the cat sickle and threw it at the in the foot uh-huh. of the casket and they all went down together yeah. now had grandma died first we would yeah exactly they would they have frozen her until the cat died <laughs> they'd have killed the cat probably this family but yeah Wow. Zach, thank you so much for talking to us. I've had so much fun. Oh, it was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate your time. We are going to cross promote with you and talk about all your cool stuff on our social media. And we, again, just thank you. And, you know, wrapping it up, tell them again where they can find you. Easiest way to find me is on Instagram at Zach is not funny. 
My new movie with Troma Entertainment, hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm, is currently streaming across the country. And I have three podcasts you can check out if you are inclined to do so. Hashtag, oh, excuse me, The Real Ass Podcast, which is Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Bye, guys, with my co-host Ian Fidance on Thursdays. And my movie show, Zach Amico's Midnight Spook Show, Fridays at Midnight, all on the Gas Digital Network. You can get them on iTunes, Stitcher, however you consume your podcasts. And then they go up on YouTube about three to five days later. So you don't have to spend a thing if you don't want to. You can always go to gasdigitalnetwork.com, use my promo code Zach for a dollar off a month, and get access to uh, the archives. But the last ten episodes of every show will always be up for free. Zach, do you have any parting thoughts on Pride Month? Um, yeah, it's weird. I wear a lot of rainbow stuff now. I wear a lot of tie-dye. Just and, for fun? Or? Uh, just kind of my look lately. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time Pride Month, so I used to be really goth. And now no. Pride Month feels like October when I was goth, where people are like, oh, are you doing a thing? And you're like, no, this is how I fucking love it. <laughs> this is how I get around. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Dead Girls Talking Podcast. We appreciate you. If you want to talk to Jenna or I, you can email us at deadgirlstalking2u. That's the number two and the letter U. At gmail.com. We have a pretty epic social media presence, Facebook, Instagram, and we are very available for your questions, comments. And if you want to hear us talk about something or if you want to come on the show, shoot us a line. You can catch us anywhere where you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. I'm out. Freddy Krueger was framed. <laughs>